Welcome to Mortified, the Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron. And I'm Cock-a-Doodle-Doo! Great, good. <laughs> and this week, we investigate a pair of foul plots with Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget, and Chicken Police, Paint It Red. Uh, before we talk about the horniest minigame I've ever played <laughs> in my life, remember you can help uh, find us on Mortified uh, you can help us on Mortify the Legitimacy Quest by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, or following us on Tumblr at MortifiedPod. Layla. Aaron. We are so clucking back. Oh, we're so clucking back, buddy. Uh, yeah, thank you all for whoever's out there still listening for uh, abiding by our um, our uh, hiatus. Uh, things got pretty wild there at, in Q4 2023. Um, but we're, we're going to try to, to get this back up running again. Cause frankly, I've, I've missed doing it. Missed talking to you. Yeah. I missed hanging out with my buddy. Um, if you didn't listen to the intro of our last episode, which how dare you, uh, we will be back bi-weekly. So when you don't hear us next week, do not fret. That is our recording week. And then we'll have an editing week. We'll come back. It'll be every other week. Um, until further notice. We might come back full uh, weekly again. We are just still very, very busy. <laughs> so this is kind of the best we could do for now. Uh, but yeah, uh, we are going to try to do right by our, our faithful listeners who are who are still here and listening to us. Um, so as we get back into the podcasting swing of things, um, Layla, what have we, what are the two great um, delicious dishes we've prepared for our listeners? <laughs> So our, our theme, you know, Mortified loves a double feature if mm-hmm. you've been with us for a while. <laughs> um, so we decided, Aaron and I, that today's theme would be chicken justice, mm-hmm. um, which is why we've watched the very good sequel to Chicken Run, a movie we have covered before. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, Also, we found, I, I shit you not completely at random, this game called Chicken Police Painted Red. And Aaron, would I be correct in saying we were both delighted by it? Uh, yeah, genuinely one of the best games I've played in a while, which we'll talk about how, you know, there's criticism, obviously. But um, yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, yeah, listen, as, yeah, a, I mean- <laughs> as a game dev, I, I'm always the voice of caution on this podcast. So, you know, I got to be careful when I talk about games because I don't want to insult my colleagues. Um, Chicken Police devs, all of the feedback we're going to give is going to come from a place of such deep love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I, I love this game. <laughs> uh, to, to pull back the curtain a little bit on the mortified uh, selection process, about once every couple months, me and Layla will sit down and just be like, all right, what are we going to cover for the next block? And when it comes to video games, we will just like go through Steam and, and like various articles and be like, um, okay, you know, this this kind of fits a theme, but it's, it's, it's too long. Uh, so usually we'll go to like best games that are under 10 hours uh, and then look for the funniest one. <laughs> And uh, yeah, this is great. This is I'm very excited to talk about these two. Absolutely. Um, I believe we are starting with um, Chicken Run 2, which if you didn't listen to our original Chicken Run episode, some important context is that Chicken Run 
was one of the three movies that as a child I watched over and over and over and over again. This is like um, one of the ways you learn to speak English, right? Abs- yeah, Chicken Run <laughs> was one of them. And God, there was a second one that I'm like blanking on currently. But that is literally like my, aside from going to school when I was, you know, a, a wee bab and learning uh, English in our ESL classes, the other ways I picked it up was definitely Chicken Run, Powerpuff Girls, and lip-reading Disney tie-in games for the PS1 while I was still in Russia. So if you have any questions as to why Layla is the way they are... uh, (laughs) This podcast answers a great deal of them. Yeah, you already know by now if you're listening to episode 153. Um, But yeah. um, God, we've done so many podcasts. Yeah, I can't believe we're doing season five. Um... So yeah, I guess shall I do Chicken Run, uh, and then we can we can both kind of try to tackle uh, Paint It Red. Oh, absolutely! I'll put on my best uh, noir voice for Paint It Red. Yeah, no, we definitely need uh, the narrator who smokes six packs a day. Ah, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, the most I ever did was half a pack, but I'll do my best. All right. Um, yeah. So Chicken Run Two kind of takes place, you know. At first, in the immediate aftermath of Chicken Run 1, and then, like, roughly 11 years after that, as, as their kid gets older. So, if you'll remember from Chicken Run 1... Well, um, there 11, are two... 11 chicken years. <laughs> yeah, 11 <laughs> chicken years, I suppose. Um, Rocky and Ginger, uh, Rocky being the American uh, chicken, uh, and Ginger being the, like, uh, British commando chicken... Um, who who es- lead led everybody to escape from the chicken farm? Uh, you know they they all get all their their chicken friends on an island, um, and they have a little chicken baby, uh, and her name is Molly, and she's cute and great, um, but also she longs to you know see the outside world. Uh, you know she she's never been off the island. Uh, this is very much like a coming of age story for her in that way, um, but like uh, Ginger, her mom is like still very traumatized uh by her experiences in you know straight up like like you we said in our previous episode very much compared to like being in a concentration camp which is perhaps a little bit extreme um but like that ginger is still traumatized by those experiences um and, and like you know doesn't want molly to get hurt this is this is a pretty typical um you know story right this this is like your your kid is, is growing up and wants to you know, see the world, and you are overprotective as the parent. I'm saying you are overprotective as the parent because I guess I'm I'm overprotective age now. Um, I always I, talk I guess about that's, this that's in, just... when we when we talk about like shonen protagonists. We have had this discussion of right. like we are now in the age bracket where, where we're protective of children right. and not so much uh, empathizing with the hero's journey of a Naruto. Yeah, one hundred percent. But yeah, um, any any thoughts on the first little bit this this intro bit where like Molly kind of grows up and I think there's definitely some some pretty good gags in that little montage. Oh yeah, I mean like listen, Ardman physical comedy still fucking crushing it. This whole movie full of goofs and gags and laughs of the physical variety that I love. I do have something to say about this opening, but it's in the context of the larger structure of the movie, so I will reserve my thoughts for now. Uh, very well. Um, yeah, so, you know, Molly, Molly gets, gets old, um, you know, she's, she's like a tween at this point, and, um, one day they notice that a bunch of chickens, um, they're like, they, they notice that there's a road being built, 
uh, next to the shore where their island is. And this road starts carrying trucks uh, full of chickens to a place called Funland Farms. Where uh, chickens meet, what is it? Where chickens meet their... Their happy ending. Their happy yeah. ending. <laughs> How yeah, fucking like grim. <laughs> brutal. Uh, the, the thing that they're like people are constantly doing in this film is the chickens are holding their hands together and giving two thumbs up and like giving a big grin. Um, and that's the like logo for um, Funland Farms, uh, which is which is very silly. <laughs> um, but that's uh, yeah. Basically, they see this, and Ginger like calls a meeting of everybody on the island. And is like, all right, here's what we gotta do. We gotta hide, and everybody's like, oh, we thought you were gonna like call for us to go do you know rescue operations on on this chicken farm, but we're all actually perfectly happy to just hide, uh, and they do. And they, they, like, camouflage their island. And, uh, yeah, it's completely fine. And, um, you know, Ginger is perfectly happy with that. But Molly isn't, you know. Um, Molly, Molly like, gets the old poster out. If you remember the poster from Chicken Run uh, 1 with Rocker, Rocky being uh, shot out of a cannon, right? She finds this poster. And Rocky kind of tells her that he used to be the lone free ranger. And he used all to have all that good stuff. And, you know, Molly's like, wow, this is so cool. I can't believe dad used to be somebody who like did all this cool stuff. I want to do all this cool stuff and, and, and leave. Um, and, you know, eventually she escapes the island. Um, and as soon as she escapes the island, she meets Frizzle, who is also kind of a teen tween chicken. Uh, and she's purple, which I thought was very fun. Uh, do you have thoughts on Frizzle? Uh, I always love a Scottish chicken. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mac was my favorite in, you know, my girl from Chicken Run original. Uh, I love Frizzle the Scottish free-range chicken. My favorite part about Frizzle is <laughs> when she finds out that Molly hasn't met a human. She's like, oh, they're so stupid. They're just around to feed us. Like, baby girl, you are both just full, full idiot children, and I love that so much for you. I did find... I do like that she's purple. She is the only purple chicken. Yeah, it's very funny. <laughs> and, like, I, I was wondering why they made that choice. I guess it's just because to differentiate uh frizzle from all the other chickens that are you know eventually in the um in the funland farms it's just like kind of a useful thing to be like hey here's the one that stands out um but it is it is a fun yeah, choice which her silhouette already kind of does but i mean like it doesn't it doesn't not huh. it's not a, such a weird choice that it's like distracting because bunty is also kind of like crimson um right and it's not that far off as a color so it's not too bad I do feel like they are kind of hinting at a queer relationship between Molly and Frizzle. <laughs> it did feel charged. Um, like, you know, I, they're they're a bit young. I definitely don't think Ardman wanted to, like, broach that territory. But, like, Frizzle does call Molly baby girl at one point, um, which is very funny. In a direct echo of uh, Molly's father uh, <laughs> doing something like that to her mom. Right. Um... And, and like it's very much like the the overconfident, um, slightly older, uh, you know, potential romantic partner. Uh, you know, I I like it. I ship it. I think they're cute. Uh, but it was it was interesting to be like, oh, is this where they're going for Chicken One Three? Uh, you know, uh, the fucking war on on meat processing plants. Uh, that would be that would be good. Uh, oh god, I hope there's not a chicken we'll, run we'll through. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Um okay. <laughs> but yeah. Um anyway, they they you know, like you said, Frizzle goes up to the, you know, human who's like running the truck that that goes to one of these farms 
and you know willingly gets herself captured. Uh, Molly follows her. Um, they get taken to Funland. Um, Ginger and like the rest of the chickens have followed them, and when they they find like they track the truck back to where it's going, they find Funland Farm, which is. Layla, do you remember? Have you ever seen The Incredibles? I have seen The Incredibles. It yes. reminds me of um, the the antagonist from The Incredibles, like his fortress. It just looks like like a super villain fortress. There is a moat. There's like a bunch of fuck. There's like huge walls with um, you know, electric fences and uh, you know, razor wire. There's um, a moat <laughs> full of robot ducks. Yes. Um, <laughs> It's it's really funny. I I like it a lot. That like it is, you know, right when you're making making media, you have to escalate the stakes. Um, so it's a very funny way to do that. Uh, with, by just like, <laughs> um. Well, we see Rocky fail his way through it, which is how we find right. out what all the shit is. Because he gets electrocuted by the fence. There's barbed wire on top of it. There's like. A fucking pop-up drones on the grass that have mini rockets, and then the ducks have laser cyclops eyes, and then he gets tossed down a trash chute. <laughs> there's so much. It's it's um, great. Uh, it's really funny just to see like like uh, you know I I didn't enjoy this movie that much just because it is very much a kids movie, uh, and a lot of it is just like kind of adventure shit that doesn't really matter um it's just like filling time to to like do the adventure story stuff and uh you know that that is just a personal taste thing um but i did actually like the sequence where rocky is just getting his shit completely uh wrecked by all the defenses and then eventually he just gets like funneled down a trash chute yeah uh you know (laughs) and i mean this is this is one of like two sequences like that because then you have this whole uh, you know what's going on in the interior segment two uh i love this high-tech chicken farm uh and especially so you know i'm gonna kind of scoot along in the summary here but when they when we see what molly and frizzle are going through inside the chicken farm we see like an idyllic chicken playground right Mm -hmm. you actually likened it to pippin uh well have you layla have you seen pippin the 1972 musical by steven schwartz I have not seen Pippin the 1972 musical by Steven Schwartz. Okay, uh, we'll talk about that. But yeah, um, it, it is very much like presented as like kind of a theme park, right? Like there's rides and slides and all you can eat, um, you know, chicken feed. Uh, and that that's all well and good. But um, the thing that I wanted to, <laughs> the reference I made to Pippin... Uh, it happens when we see, you know, all these chickens have these collars around their necks, right? And these collars are, you know, mind control collars, basically. They, um, you know, make them subservient to the will of Dr. Fry, who runs Funland. Uh, a Daisy fellow, by the way. Uh, shout outs to my, my brother, <laughs> Dr. Fry. Um, but like... Who has multiple degrees, by the way, we find out from Oxford and Cambridge. Yeah, I mean, listen, brown parents are hard, I understand. Um, but like... <laughs> the the bit that I was comparing to Pippin is the bit where he demonstrates, um, you know, the reason this film is called Dawn of the Nugget is because they're they're moving from chicken pies in the first one to like, you know, uh, fast food and, and how chicken have like chicken nuggets, right? It's it's you know, in some ways like uh, an Americanization of this franchise, which is like 
you know, chicken pies are a very British thing where chicken nuggets are a very American thing. Um, but like one of the chickens is like compelled to go to walk into the sun um and you know behind the 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 fake the facade of the sun is like a you know a plant that will turn you into a bucket of chicken nuggets um but th- there is a parallel because you know spoilers for pippin i guess the last uh song <laughs> the 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 penultimate song in pippin is um where the 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 narrator of the musical encourages pippin to set himself on fire um to like be the climate listen pippin's a wild musical i think it's really cool what it's doing with like meta narratives and and story structure um but like it is very much like hey you're the hero of this story and now to have a big climax set yourself on fire in front of all these people (laughs) um and the song that they sing is called think about the sun uh it's very influential on me uh y'all should go watch pippin sometime anyway that's that's that sidebar (laughs) I okay, excellent. I feel like I learned something about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, but great. Let's talk some more about these chickens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, the reason that they, you know, the 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 big reveal after like the chicken gets turned into chicken nuggets is that this is all mm-hmm. in service of Doctor Fry's wife, who is of course, uh, the former uh farmer McTweedy's wife, uh, Mrs. Mc- McTweedy. Um, just Tweety, Marisha Marisha Tweety Tweety now. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm happy for, for Dr. Fry. He was able to pull a tall, mean baddie. Uh, good for him. Uh, yeah. Uh, Marisha Tweety really had a glow up. She, you know, she's got uh, an up, her updos polished up, her eyeshadows brighter. Um, uh, she hooked a man of multiple degrees, I also like, um, at one point she's talking to the American, like, fast food franchise owner. Sir Eatalot, um, yeah. She's trying to, like, yeah, well, that's that's the franchise name is Sir Eatalot. I forget what the guy's it name is. It doesn't matter. Is. He's um, Sir Eatalot. <laughs> he's Sir Eatalot to us. Uh, and to, to, and to Dr. Uh, Dr. Fry. But she's talking to him, and she's like, and finally, I can have my revenge. And he's like, revenge? And she's like, revenue. And you know, Marisha, revenue can be also revenge. So I don't think you actually tripped up on that too much. As Beyonce said, best revenge is that paper. That's right. So true. Um, And then, like, from here, the the rest of the story just kind of happens, right? They, they break out, um, you know... And then, you know, they go back for uh, the Scottish purple chicken love interest. I've already forgotten. Uh-huh, Frizzle, Frizzle, thank you. Frizzle, um, you're welcome. And, you know, they, they get all the chickens out and they escape and they f- go on to form a paramilitary organization and, it, and it's all, they all live happily ever after. <laughs> um, but, yeah, right. like, I, you know, do you have anything to say about the, the end of the movie? Because, like, I really don't. It's just sort of like fun hijinks. Yeah, okay, so I'd like to, to uh, go back to, you know, the thing I avoided saying in the beginning. Sure. So, uh, listen, I have two small nephews. If I were babysitting, I would have no problem sticking them in front of this flick. It's very fun. It's very colorful. Choreo's on point. I love an Ardman, you know, hijinks physical comedy scene. All good stuff. Uh, watching it as an adult who, again, has worked in animation, and I am of the firm belief that children deserve good entertainment, um, and I'm thus willing to criticize children's media as I would adult media. Um, this movie's core problem is that it is completely non-committal to an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think 
didn't spend enough time setting the emotional stakes and spent way too much time paying them off. Right. I would have liked a longer act one. I would have liked a commitment to a point of view. Are we going to tell it from Ginger's point of view, where we see her be kind of as a result of her very, like, textual PTSD uh, being overbearing and limiting on her daughter, where we see her convincing the other chickens not to talk about what happened to them uh, off, you know, off the island when they lived on the farm? Mm -hmm. Or are we going to get Molly's point of view, where we don't get the recap of Chicken Run 1 in the beginning, and we just dive into Molly not understanding why her, like, big village family won't tell her anything, why any time she asks why she can't go off the island or what happened off the island or finds evidence of things that happened off the island. Everyone's just like, oh, ha, 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 nothing, nothing at all. Um, and that's why we go. If we had set that up and seen like the rift between her and Ginger and Rocky more and, and then let her spend more time with Frizzle in uh, at the farm and kind of giving it a long or heading to the farm, like giving them a little bit of a journey there to be like, okay, we're going to willingly go to the farm and, and we're going to bond on our way there over our shared experience of like being sheltered or whatever, then go to the farm and then things go to hell. And then you have uh, the, the kind of breakout. I think that would have paid off better. The other, the other thing I noticed was that this movie for some reason, and I think this is like the Americanization you were talking about, was afraid of being as almost grim as the original Chicken Run mm -hmm. because we never saw the machinery that uh, turned these chicks into nugs. Right. Um, which I know sounds insane, but there's like two sequences in the pie machine in the original where you saw all the bits and fucking bobs. Right. Um, and I feel like there's just like, Therefore, not enough of the stakes. Um, so it felt a little bit artificial. And it didn't help that in the last um, the last sequence with Marisha... First of all, very cool that there's a lot of visual callbacks to the original. Like, the last fight with Marisha is almost the same exact choreography. Down to the axe kind of acting as a boomerang. Yeah. Um, as in the original, which is just a neat callback. But there are, like, three points at which Ginger and Molly have the off switch... And none of them press yeah. it to set up this, like, fake dramatic buildup to getting Molly in a compromising position. Like, one of you just fucking press it, dude. Like, there are so many other ways to set it. And also, they, they, like, so, they, they lampshade it, right? Because they're like, yeah. why are there three remotes to this um, machine? Who Nobody knows. And it's like, okay, that's a clear nod to the audience that, like, we're just doing this because of story reasons. And, like, you know, it's fine. I, I understand that you're doing it. But, like, I do agree, Layla. I do think that it this this movie definitely pulled its punches in a lot of places yeah so that's my that's my chicken run to dawn of the nugget rant it's just it felt a little bit non again i would be more than happy to stick my nephews in front of this but like i just pulled some punches it felt a little bit non-committal in its in its story structure and i just like i i wish it had gotten i say this a lot on this podcast but i wish i had gotten one more pass and i actually feel similarly about um Ch chicken police <laughs> hmm. so. i i think chicken police probably could have got one more pass for like editing and continuity but i do think chicken police is kind of the opposite of chicken run 2 in that like it does too many punches you think mm, well it is a little edgy at times but like i do think that that it it actually succeeds at what it was going for um 
in a, in a bigger way, whereas like Chicken Run 2 felt a little bit safe. Um, and, you know, obviously different kinds of media for different audiences. But I just I, I did feel that Chicken or Chicken Police committed to its its like core premise much harder. Yeah, it, de- it can it definitely committed to its its bit. Um, but yeah, overall, I, I did I did like Donna the Nugget, but it didn't. I don't know. I there's something about the original that is so charming, mm-hmm. and that like Harry Gregson Williams score who came back for Donna the Nugget. But there's that like melodramatic. It's Chicken Run One takes itself so seriously, right. and it's so fun. And I just like didn't feel that from this mm-hmm. one. Um, and that's okay. I think that's completely fine. Again, it's a completely fine kids movie. I just yeah, you know, it's okay. Yeah. Right. You know, it's a sequel, a, a sequel produced by Netflix. Like, eh, there's only so much you can you can hope for, unfortunately. And you know what I'm going to say as my final thought? And again, this is a common theme for me. I'm just glad my Ardman girlies got right. Made. At the end of the day, you know, if you're keeping practical effects alive, God bless you. Sure. Yeah. If you're keeping my boys at Ardman fucking lined. Great. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. Layla. So do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, Chicken Police? I would love to, Aaron. <clears throat> Sonny Featherland is a washed-up cop. 121 days from retirement. He's contacted by Deborah Ibanez, who asks him to investigate whoever's been threatening her mistress, Natasha Katsenko. Sonny is hesitant until he receives a message that implicates his ex-wife, Molly, in whatever is going on with Natasha. Sensing he's going to get in deep trouble, he reluctantly agrees and heads down to the station to meet his old partner. (laughs) After chatting with the other cops cops on duty, Sonny talks to Marty, a huge fucking booster with a love for guns. Marty shot Sonny the last time they met, but gets over their argument fairly quickly when Sonny asks for his help. Together, the chicken police is reunited, and they go down to downtown Clawville to the Tsar Club, Natasha Katsenko's own haunt. After talking their way through the best character... <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, sure. The best character in the game, a bodyguard named Archibald, they're allowed into the cabaret. Um... Okay, listen, I would like to point out I'm I was I was I cannot believe that you accused me in your notes of of possibly being thirsty for Marty. Incorrect. Archibald is my dude. <laughs> Archibald fucking rules. He's like this big ram who speaks with like a, a French Canadian accent. Uh, and he's like, uh, you know, like, very polite, but also like later is just like tr- shooting guns at you. I love Archibald. He fucking he, he's just great. <laughs> He fucking rules. Um, okay, so so this far into the story, okay, we have we've met Sonny Featherland, who's our our main character, our cop. I love that a lot of the shots we get of him are like him driving his car. Uh, you know, it's a noir, so in a black and white mm-hmm. <laughs> down the highway. Um, we've also met Lewis at this point, who is um, Sonny's landlord and a stuttering rabbit. Right. Who is kind of a fan of the famed Chicken Police and. Marty. Now, how do you feel so far about our cast of characters? Um, so, you know, Sonny is, you know, I think Sonny is kind of perfect for what he is supposed to be doing. He is supposed to be exactly what we said. The the cop that's three months from retirement that kind of sucks. Uh, <laughs> and it's just kind of like an alcoholic, um, you know, barely has his shit together. 
the the quote that the game gives in when you're like looking through the uh, documents is like um you know marty shot me last time we talked and i deserved it which is like yeah i bet you did because you suck ass sunny featherland um and Sa- santiago is his full name i believe um <laughs> santino santino thank you uh but like yeah, I mean, I think I, I like Sonny in that he, he is exactly like the noir, um, you know, like, per, like narrator that, that you kind of want in these like stories. Um, and, you know, I, I, I like Sonny fine. I think um, Marty, his, his partner, is exactly, you know, al- also what you want, um, which is like kind of like the younger, more hot headed version, but also kind of a dummy because he's like young and horny. Um, you know, I think that's fine. Um, and then there's Lewis. Lewis is a little bit weird. Um, but like, there's a lot of characters. There's like something like 30 characters in this game, right? 26 main characters. Yeah. Like an incredible number of characters, um, very clearly laying the breadcrumbs for like an expanded universe. Um, and like, so that's why we don't get a whole lot of character development from, from all of them. But like I, I think in, in focusing on the the adventures of the chicken police, they they make a smart choice and then kind of like leave these like um you know uh, unanswered questions that that I do actually think helps uh, a lot of the story uh, more than it hurts it. Yeah, I will say so. The way you kind of get reintroduced to to or rather introduced to Marty is that there's this kind of really big buildup to um uh, sunny kind of dreading going in to talk to him and when you when you talk to everybody around the the police station when he first comes in everyone's like man marty hasn't been the same after you left like mm-hmm. we know you guys parted on if he turns but like all he does now is is waste ammo at the shooting range um and there was this huge build up to the fact that uh marty had shot sunny sunny almost died like something happened and then he walks in and everyone's like oh watch out he's gonna be super pissed i think the uh, bosco who you talk to is like dude just let him rage let him rage mm-hmm. and then he'll come down and he'll be just like he was i found there was all that build up to to a very anticlimactic conversation with Marty. Yes, I think that the relationship with Sonny and Marty in this game is is maybe its biggest stumbling block because, like you said, right they they do foreshadow all these like important things and they never really pay them off in a satisfying way. Unfortunately, um, you know, like like exactly like this where they're like, oh yeah, you know it's this big conversation with your, your partner who, who nearly killed you. And because you had some sort of argument and it's over within like, like one real life minute of like clicking through their conversation and being like, Oh, okay. You're just going to join him then. (laughs) And Marty's like, yeah, whatever. I don't have anything else to do. I'm still mad at you, but not really. Yeah. Um, uh, important gamer question. Did you play the shooting gallery mini game? I did. And I thought I did pretty good. And then I saw your screenshot. I was like, Holy (laughs) shit. Layla. (laughs) I got the top score. Um, yeah, I love a shooter gallery. It, I'm, I, you know, it's a good time. Uh, so you wanted before we uh, get into the Star Club, you did want a sidebar to talk about the other good character who is Zip the Raccoon. Um, yeah, he becomes more important later in the story, but just like you know, there's a bit where you can like go to the the bar. The um, hot dog. The hot dog. Yes, it's and and you you point out this is like an homage to a famous painting. Right? It is the hop dog is is literally a, a a reference to Edward Hopper's Nighthawks, and I, I I looked at it for one second and I was able to pull that. It's a really good reference. 
Yeah, it's it's incredible. I'm I'm very very impressed that you made that pull. Um, but yeah, like it's it's this um you know rundown um you know coffee joint essentially. It's like a it's diner. It's a diner. It's it's, um, a, it's like a, a greasy spoon diner. Right. Uh, there's a bunch of references to the fact that the last time they were here, Marty and um, Sonny trashed the place because they got in a fight with some some like thugs, basically. And the proprietor, Zip, who is this raccoon, um, is just like, ah, you know, you suck. Uh, Y'all should get out of here. But also, like, is, is completely fine with them still being here and, and you know, patronizing the place. Um, they do call him a trash panda. And, like, one, one thing I noted very early on is that everyone is a racist <laughs> in this universe. <laughs> Yeah, completely unnecessary detail. <laughs> like, I don't know what it adds besides being like, oh, this is gritty and edgy, which like, sure, I guess. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I mean, you can get away with animal racism a, a little bit, I guess, but it is it is a weird detail that I don't think adds anything. I, I don't think it adds anything. So, I, you know, there is, you do get this like hint at there being a kind of Zootopia-esque mm-hmm. conflict of the royalists who want all the animals to live together and the separatists who don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might be part of that, right? But it just, like, neither thing was really fleshed out enough for me to get that from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's it's an edgy noir. It, it does what it has to do. Right, um, right. But, but anyway. But Zip the Raccoon is there, and he's fun. He's he's just kind of like a, a shady diner guy who's who's kind of like the the tavern keeper in a fantasy story, right? He has, he knows all the, the weird secrets around town. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's a, he's a cool town goss. Um, actually, so, so a quick, quick anecdote from our hiatus is uh, a friend of the show, Marty and I went to a, a Ren fair. And one of the things hmm. that we found at the Ren fair uh, was there was a stall selling adorable little clay guys. Um, and they sign up for free gossip. And that attracted me like a wow. flat honey. <laughs> So naturally, I like squeezed my way and was like, "I see you have free gossip," and obviously it was like fake role play gossip, right? right you know, she's right. giving me shit about the king. And Marty turns to me, just no hesitation, no scope, headshot goes, "Yeah, I fucking knew you were gonna clear the way and go straight for the hot gossip." Mm-hmm. Like, go fuck yourself. Listen, you're trying to get your own ever more experience. I was, and I did. I love that stand. I hope they're there uh, if we go again next year. Um, all right. <clears throat> Inside the club, they watch a performance by Natasha Katsenko, who Sonny immediately falls in love with. Afterwards, they talk to her and her boyfriend, the gangster Ibn Wessler. They reveal that the threatening word written on the wall of Natasha's house is whore. Sunny questions Natasha privately in her room. She says that he should come to her weekend house so she can show him something important. After talking to Natasha, they are also met by an old private eye, Filmar, who gives them a weird list of names. Um... Yeah, uh, I loved the melodrama of of Sunny watching Natasha perform and like clearly like becoming bewitched. Yeah, like there's there's a bit where like after the like a full cutscene plays and somebody do- they do the super giant thing where they have somebody like sing a song, um, and like like it's this big you know um, there's a lot of detail and attention put into the sequence and like it's also hysterical to watch a photoshopped chicken like react and be manipulated in a way that makes it seem like he is falling dr- drastically in love with this sexy cat woman 
Um, it's really funny to watch, but also like is played completely straight. Um, Marty is like trying to like whack Sunny like to snap out of it. Um, but it's it's really good. Um, and, and especially you know they're going for a Sin City thing, uh, where Natasha Katsenko is one of the few characters who has color in the game. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like her eyes are this like bright green, which is a very stark contrast with the rest of the the world. Um, but yeah, I, I think it I think it just works. I 100% agree. It just works. It's so dramatic. It's so fun. Um, I love Natasha Katsenko. Now, okay, you and I both picked up on this. Is Natasha Katsenko a Romanoff? Yeah, I think she, like, textually is. Um, Great. We find that out in Act <laughs> 2. They're, like, I have notes, but basically it seems like she's she's Anastasia, right? <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I love this. Um, great. Let's, let's keep going. Uh, so when Sonny and Marty go to investigate Natasha's house, they find Deborah dead, with whore written on her back. Natasha is nowhere to be found. If you do a puzzle to open a safe in the house, you find a scrap of a painting. Um, I would have never solved this without the guide, by the way. Yeah. Uh, that is just... I am not that attentive. Um, so they also found a card belonging to members of the exclusive brothel, the Sweltering Nile. Um, Sonny and Marty go to the Sweltering Nile to meet with its proprietor, Madame Zawas. Another excellent character, by the way, in this game. I love Zawas. Yeah, Madame Zawas Owens. I want I want a whole game about her because she's yeah, she's fucking sick. Give me Madame Zawas fucking spy thriller set in you know wherever the fuck she's from. I love that shit. I actually, I want to talk a lot about Madame Zawas's office because this this sequence was the most one of the most interesting parts of the game to me. Um, they go into her office and the first thing we see are these big like you know, quote, quote, unquote, tribal masks. Um, if, if you've like seen various like peoples who are indigenous to, to, you know, various places in Africa, you've seen like these like long masks, but like it, it, you know, very clearly they're like, you know, you know, she's a crocodile, you know, she's Egyptian, right. They're trying to draw that parallel, but also they're, they're human masks. Um, like they're, they're, they're the kind of mask that human people would wear. And like, none of them are, are shaped to fit a crocodile. Um, so one, just a wild world building bit. Um, two, the Nile is textually a river. So this place takes place on Earth. This Clawville is a, is a place on Earth. Uh, this whole world, uh-huh. uh, you know, and they actually even in um, Natasha's house, there's like a statue of a human and they make reference to the fact that humans are mythical creatures, um, which is wild. <laughs> um, uh, and then like, there's a bit in Zawas's office where there's like this like sexy picture of her when she was young and Marty's like, Oh wow. Uh, you're, you're super hot. Congrats. And she's like, thanks. Uh, yeah, I used to be super hot. Um, like there's just so much like dense world building in this, in this area. And like when we get into her history with the Royalists and how she used to be like a special operative, like, you know, it doesn't unfortunately go anywhere, but I do. I am just like so charmed by the way that they're just like, yeah, we have this whole world built out. Are we going to tell you anything about it? No, don't worry about it. <laughs> and, like, I think that's great. That kicks ass because like, this is the thing about telling stories is that executing on, on like the, the questions that you pose in your own story is often unsatisfying. You know, it is so hard to stick the landing. And sometimes it's just better when you don't answer those questions. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a, a huge critique of, like, um, not to, you know, call out Mr. Brandon Sanderson, but that's that's kind of the critique of the Sanderson-esque style of writing, right? Where everything has an explanation and everything is is uh, uh, set in some sort of logic. And I think that's so limiting. I think sometimes 
It's just gotta be vibes. And this right. was the vibiest shit I've played in a long time. I loved it so <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was um, great. So actually, on approach to Madame Zawas, another very interesting thing. I'm gonna ask, are you sure that the zipping up the dress was the horniest minigame you've ever played? For me, I mean, listen, I didn't play the giving the massage in FF10-2. Uh, I'm so glad that you picked up exactly what I was Yeah, we've been doing this podcast for five years. I know what you're talking about. But, but um, yeah, no, there's this bit where, like, you're waiting for the receptionist to go get Zaywas, And, like, this, um, you know, sex worker is like, oh, hey, uh, big, strong chicken man. My zippers come undone. Can you... uh? zip up my dress and like you have to de- deliberately very very slowly zip up the the dress on this like um i think she's like a deer or i don't know she's some sort of animal woman uh but like you have to do it slow otherwise you'll you'll fail the mini game uh and it's just like very very funny to be like oh this is like the biggest furry bait i've ever seen in my life um and i just you have to I criticize a lot of the mini games in this. I think they're mostly just there to be like, hey, we have an interactive portion that's not just, you know, reading and, and making choices. Um, but like, I, I do think it's just like a, an incredibly fun bit where it's just like, yeah, this is a noir story, you horny, <laughs> dirty boy. You're going to go to a brothel and you're going to like it. It It is. It's very, very, very good. I also, I'm a sucker for like a brothel that's a family story. <laughs> yes, um, exactly. No. It, it, you know, all the girls, like, you hear over and over again, they're willing to, like, do whatever to protect Madame Zaywas. I love that shit. Yeah. Um, and, and, like, they all come out with guns when you break into their, her secret room, and they're like, we'll kill these fuckers. We'll dump their bodies in the river. We don't care. Yeah, day-night, the fucking zebra receptionist, she fucking yeah. rules. Yeah. Uh, I also, <laughs> they also, try- <laughs> so did you go back after she tries to kill you. No, I read that in the guide that you can, though, and it's just, like, completely fine. <laughs> it's completely fine. It was the most hysterical thing I've ever done, because you go back and Marty's like, Sonny, um, hmm, are we sure? <laughs> and Sonny's like, yeah, what else is going to happen? And you go and <laughs> Day Night is like, uh, <laughs> um, hmm. She's like, yeah, honestly, my bad. Um, you know, and they're like, it's fine. Can we go see Zaywas again? And she's like, I don't know if she's going to like that. And they're like, we kind of don't care. She's trying to kill us. And you go back and Zaywas is like, you know, honestly, I'm kind of glad to see you made it. Can I be real? I didn't actually want to kill you. That rules. Uh, that is great. That's, uh, I love it, man. Visual novels are awesome. Visual novels are very fun, actually. Yeah, so. Um, Wait, hold on. How many yeah? visual novels have we played for Mortified? Can I be real? Not enough. I mean, yes, but I'm thinking, have we only played bird-themed visual novels for this podcast? Yeah, it fucking feels like it, doesn't it? Uh, this one had Hatofu Boyfriend, right? Yeah. Uh, another wild ride. <laughs> yeah, God. Maybe, um, yeah. Incredible. Yeah? Maybe I was going to say, maybe all visual novels should be bird-themed. I, I agree. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> birds are great. Okay, so so we left off a little bit in Madame Zaywas' office. You solve a fun little clock puzzle um, to get her into her secret room where you see all her spy stuff. And one of your clues actually starts to make sense there because Filmar, uh, who is one of the detectives that you kind of run into, has given you this mysterious list of like a bunch of really high-ranking people in Clawville that doesn't make any sense. What you find in the secret room 
is that uh, it is a list of clients that corresponds to uh, some girlies working at the brothel, one of whom da, 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 is Natasha Katsenko, and the other one of whom Aaron is Sonny's ex-wife. Whose name is... Molly. A uh, Molly. Wait, really? Yeah, it's Molly. Like the daughter. Like the like the daughter. <laughs> yeah, we got a double Molly. It's all it's all coming together. It's all Hold on, connected. Like, let's play that very bad mini game where you have to connect the dots that happens in this game. Oh yeah, that investigation mini game. Uh, again, it's, with it's love, could use some work. Yeah, sorry y'all. Sorry, um, the wild gentleman. <laughs> yeah, excellent game. Uh, that mini game could could use a little bit of polish. Um. Yeah, uh, so this was this is a big moment, and then of course the girls come in, and they, in a fantastic visual, Sunny and Marty end up tied up on a flaming boat. Yeah, um, that's this is actually the best mini game in the game, but it is hysterical to see two chicken cops tied together on a fire. <laughs> Just yeah, that really mini game was genuinely stressful. Tracing that knot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to untie the the knot that is like binding them together, and and you just have to move your mouse through like this little maze. Uh, and if you fuck it up, you have to do it all over again. And if you fuck it up three times, you die. Yeah, I fucked it up twice. It was very scary. It's it's uh, great. And the fire keeps getting brighter and making it harder and harder and harder to see the actual rope. Ooh, mm-hmm. it's good. It's a good game. Yep. Um. Anyway, so uh. Some other, so you know, they get off the boat. Thankfully, they end up, uh, uh, you know, heading back to Zip's diner. But oh no, Zip's gone. Having asked the cops to arrest him, they find a weird wristband hidden in his jukebox. And then uh, at the police station, Zip reveals that he ended up getting rid of a body for Ibn Wessler, and now Wessler wants him dead. So there's no loose ends. The doctor, the kind of off-grid fucked up witch doctor yeah. they have, Bubo, uh, tells them the wristband is from an insane asylum. Um, so we haven't talked about Ibn Wessler too much. Ibn Wessler is like the big, big gangster um, of this world who is like uh, uh, Natasha's baby boy. And there's a very good moment where everyone's like, dude, Natasha's got him wrapped around her little finger. And she's, like, talking to him and the cops at the Zark Club, and she literally goes, oh, my God, can you give me, like, a little drinky-poo? And he just goes and does it, like, the biggest mm-hmm. gangster in this world, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was a very nice touch. But so, yeah, Ibn is, is this kind of shadow looming over this plot. Right. Um, and this is where we find out that Ibn has an evil twin, which I think is I incredible storytelling. Yeah, sometimes you're just like, hey, by the way, <laughs> let's do an evil twin now. <laughs> and I'm completely pro. Uh, so we find out that this evil twin is at um, at an asylum uh, that has a really good name that I'm blanking on. I don't remember it either. Um, it's a it, long fucking name. Yeah, it's like Happy Dream Times place for the mentally disturbed or something wild. Something um, like that. I will say, okay. So one of my other minor criticisms is if we're going to do, I think it is completely okay to do like, um, or how do I put this? I think there was an opportunity to not put uh, uh, him in an asylum, but maybe put him in a, in just like a hospital in the countryside, like a farm upstate kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and not diagnose him with schizophrenia, but just say that he like went mad with lust, which is basically right. what happened right. and make it more nebulous. Because, like, diagnosing him with schizophrenia, like, listen, y'all, I'm not even offended. I'm just kind of bored. You're right. I mean, like, listen, they are working in a 
in a genre space like this is kind of what they would be doing you know this is what would happen in uh you know like 40s detective novel right but at the same time you're making this in 2020 i believe is when this game came out so like uh y'all could have done this in a different way and it would have been more interesting i think yeah the schizophrenia diagnosis is just a little a little little tried right um but uh (laughs) Uh, so, uh, Bubo, Bubo does reveal, uh, that was last source of Twitter, Albert, which is just very fun. And then the boys go to this insane asylum and they meet the two great characters, um, of a snake doctor and also a giraffe nurse whose head you can't see. Mm-hmm. It's just a fun um, gag. It's just a fun gag when you have a giraffe who you, you can never see their head cause they're so tall. It's like, all right, that's fine. That's fun. It's very, very good is the problem. Uh, so Dr. Quetzal the snake, uh, tells them about Albert Wessler and his weird history at the asylum. Uh, namely that he like checked himself in voluntarily and that he was just kind of like one given the special pretty boy treatment because he was a wrestler and to like you know never seem to actually want to leave mm-hmm. um but ibn would come and pick him up because he was a prolific painter and had him do a painting of natasha mm-hmm. and every time he would come back from doing the painting of natasha which you see in her office it's a very horny painting oh yeah um he would kind of come back different uh, and one time, Ibn came to pick him up and then returned to him with an eye and his tongue missing. Right. Now, Aaron, were your suspicions starting to be aroused when this story was being told? So, as soon as I learned that Ibn Westler had a twin, I was like, oh, they switched places. Um, and then this, like, tongue getting torn out thing, sw- like, confused me. I was like, oh, but if his tongue got torn out, I guess he couldn't. He couldn't be, and then, like, immediately it was revealed, like, oh, yeah, they switched places, obviously, and then the real guy got his tongue torn out. I was like, oh. I, I was gonna say, the yeah. tongue torn out was the tell for me. The tongue right. torn out, I was like, oh, that was Ibn Wessler that was right. in there. That was not right. Albert anymore. Um, so, uh, the cops pretty quickly pieced together what we did, which is that Albert replaced uh, Ibn, uh, because it was love for Natasha, which uh, is validated by this very creepy letter you find where he's just, like, saying that he has to, like, merge with Albert, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then the cops <laughs> have this kind of, like, goodbye tour around town because they're like, mm-hmm. well, we're walking into our deaths. Here we fucking go. Um, and they go to confront Wessler at his manor. He has a stereotypical mental breakdown. Woo, spooky. And talks about, and by the way, reading Aaron's notes verbatim, <laughs> and talks about how he and Ibn are actually the same person, blah, blah, blah. It's the weakest part of the game. And Natasha kills him. <laughs> yeah, that's that's about how that goes down. Uh, and then the chicken police are heroes. I do, again, I, I was talking a little bit about manufactured kind of stretched out conflict. I felt the same about this, like, Wessler confrontation. Right. Um, there was also this beat, and this goes back to, like, the Marty thing just not being very strong. There's this beat, uh, where it's, it, Wester keeps going, like, oh, you know what it's like, you know what it's like, where the line between love and hate is, like, so thin, you can't tell the difference. Mm-hmm. We've never seen that from Sonny. Yeah, no, we know that Sonny has, like, a complicated relationship with his ex-wife, but, um, that, I think besides that, he's just kind of, like, a, a deadbeat. It feels like that was supposed to be his relationship with Marty, but the game just never goes there. Right. Um, so this beat kind of falls flat. But I do like, so again, you know, you're operating in a noir. You have some genre conventions. Obviously, there's a lot of like dames and whores and, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. I do like that even though the language is set up like that, the women all have agency because two women uh, save Sonny and Marty, right? First, Natasha by shooting Albert. And then also, uh, 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 oh, oh what's God, her Wendy name? Her the name. hummingbird. The uh, hummingbird saves them because she calls the cops. Yeah, uh, I think it's Monica. 
the Huntingberg secretary. She's great. I love her. Uh, Monica, my angel. And she, at the end of the day, she's like, you do owe me new shoes. (laughs) Yeah, size 35 black. Thanks. Incredible. Which we, 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 we love that. She also, uh, I liked when Sunny, Sunny kind of hit you. You have the option to uh, ask Sunny to hit on her in the beginning of the game. And she goes, I'm going to pretend. Or she's like, I didn't hear that. And you didn't say that. And that's the end of it. I was like, that's a great, that's a great comeback, actually. I, I, again, I think that we're getting a little bit sequel baited. So I'm excited to meet Molly. Um, um, yeah, I'm sure we will meet Molly in the sequel. Um, so, you know that there's a sequel coming out this year? Uh, you informed me via notes. Okay. Late yes. 2024. So if you go to the um, the Wild Gentleman's website, uh, they have an advertisement for Chicken Police into the Hive, uh, and we didn't talk much about um, in the Hive at all. But basically, there's a conflict between you know the animals and the insects in this world, and you can see the like silhouette of the Hive, which is like this essentially a ghetto um, for where all the insects have to are, are forced to live, um, and like. I'm actually very interested in that because that seemed like an interesting bit of world building in, in this in this narrative. Um, so yeah, uh, there, there's going to be a sequel that's scheduled to come out this year, um, and I'm and I'm oh. like really I, I'm excited to see what that is because like that's that's okay. really fun. Uh, I'm Let me really, wish list that real quick. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm just like looking at their promo image, and there's like a a fox that's smoking a long cigar or cigarette. Me. Um, yeah, <laughs> Layla <Knee> coded. coded. <laughs> uh, there's a baboon with like a huge golden uh, in, uh, fang. That's really cool. There's um, there's a crow that is like coded as a medieval doctor, and then of course we have our, our chicken police. Uh, I guess Marty is not retiring. Uh, good for Marty. Um, yeah, no, I'm very excited for Into the Hive uh, because like they they you know maybe they will disappoint me by answering the questions that they they left lingering, but like. You know, I'm 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 just really glad that this game exists for all of the criticisms that we have of it. Like, I think a lot of the the main questioning mechanics like did not work at all. Like, there, there's a bit where you have to like you know, interrogate suspects, and like you know, it doesn't impede your progress in the game, but like you have to like ask certain questions. And I could never figure out what they wanted me to like ask to get those good scores. Um, I either crushed it. Oh, you did. I either crushed it or failed spectacularly. There was no okay. ground. Yeah. Like, I think the lowest I got was, like, three stars, and the best I got was four. Like, I was, I was just kind of guessing. And, like, honestly, I was, you know, choosing the options that I found most interesting to me. Uh, and sometimes the game would penalize me for that, which I think was a mistake. Um, but, like, but like yeah, despite all of these, like, criticisms that I have of this game, I, I think it is such a, like, fun and interesting world that they, like, wholly committed to. And, you know, I was reading a little bit about it on Wikipedia, like, you know, they, they develop some of these characters by, like, going to their local zoos and taking pictures of the animals and then scanning those animals in uh, to the to the game itself instead of just using stock art, which is really fun. Um, and, like, this is the kind of game that I can see if I ever got into game design, like, me making, because it's, like, you know, kind of, you know, I don't want to say low budget, right, because all video games cost a bajillion dollars to make, even it's ones efficient. like these. It's right. efficient. Right, exactly. But, like, it's something that's kind of, like, small and achievable, but also, like, very interested in its own story and characters. And, like, I just, I'm really thrilled that people are still out here doing this in an era where, you know, we, I don't know if, you know, we would we probably would have talked about this, you know, had we had episodes in late 2023, but the video game industry is just facing wave after wave of terrible layoffs, and it fucking sucks. Um, and, 
you know, I'm just glad there are people who are still out there despite the the industry being a nightmare um, that are making like little passion projects like this that that are committed to themselves. I was going to say not so little because if you look at the key features in uh, Into the Hive, we have now more than 30 fully dubbed characters, 35 locations to explore. Oh, shit. Um, this thing is going to be like large, uh, which I love. So I love that, you know, I, I, I'm very excited for this. I think it's, I think it's very smartly made. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really, really fun. It's a cool world. It's just kind of like, it, it very, it's satisfying. I loved Chicken Police so much. I know we, we talked about, you know, we thought some of the, the gameplay could have used a little bit of work and, and, you know, the, the kind of animal racism, I, we just like didn't understand the point of, but I honestly, I had so much fun playing this. Um, I thought it was delightful. I thought all the performances were really great um, for the for the voice actors. Like it, it was just so it 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 bought in so earnestly to its own bit that it was just a delight. Right, right. You know, we talk about this a lot. I think on this this podcast, but like committing to your art in a way that that is genuine and not like doing the lampshading thing, being like, oh, look at me, I'm I'm being a parody of uh, noir, like. And just going for it is, is such a strong and confident choice that I'm I'm just so thrilled. I know I'm very very we're very very excited for Into the Hive. Uh, Chicken Belize is about a, a four to six hour game if you're quick about it. Um, you, you could take a little longer to like be a little bit more of a completionist. Um, I if you have like a weekend and you're just looking for something kind of fresh and fun, like I highly recommend Chicken Belize. It's a good yeah, it's time. less than ten bucks. Pick it up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for our marketing minute. We can do the thing, which is like, what does the mortified visual novel look like? You know, how how would we make our own version of Chicken Police? Uh-huh. Um, I feel like we may have done that already. Um, in, in which case, we can just kind of try to extrapolate from what we, what we think will happen in Chicken Run Three slash Chicken Police Enter the Hive. Uh, okay. Well, hold. Oh, hmm. Is there? Ow. I think in this in this land of multiverses and um, sequels and prequels, um, I think the the real question, Aaron, is uh, is is there a chicken run noir visual novel? Uh, there could be. There certainly could be if we wrote to Ardman very sincerely and got their licensing agreement. Yeah, I think I think if we're gonna retell chicken run i think we could do a noir oh oh my god we do a prequel that is fowler's story and we make it a noir yes i was i was going here i was like yeah what is the war like what is the chicken run world war ii story it's told Uh, by fowler who is an unreliable narrator at best right um so he's he's definitely the narrator but also like he's he's the post-war he's coming he's coming back to his home uh after the war, you know, a young man, but also deeply scarred by the trauma that he's done, he's dealt with, and he he has to like settle things in his hometown, something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. The other, the other, the other angle to this is uh, his melodrama could be completely unserious, and in the background, without commenting on it, we see like the horrors of war. Oh, say more. <laughs> you. Kn- so, you know, Fowler is, like, trying to move through the ranks because he's a mascot in the in the Royal Air Force, as we found out in the first mm-hmm. movie. So we that is the drama for Fowler, right? Like, like the petty drama of moving him through the ranks to be the, the, the 
like mascot for his uh his plane or whatever um for his crate i think is was what they called it and in the background of this through contextual clues and environmental storytelling we see like soldiers losing limbs Mm -hmm. and suddenly it's a different pilot and like fowler just takes the surface level excuse and doesn't question it any deeper yeah so it's like (laughs) the 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 comedy of like an office sitcom but again like in the first scene of saving private ryan that's very funny yes um that no one (laughs) argument Ardman, you have to give us the entire resources of your stop motion studio. I want the like fucking X-rated, um, you know, like blood and guts like <laughs> models, so that way all around the the claymation, you know, while while Fowler is, is doing his like, oh, I gotta make sure the corp the colonel gets this report and sees that I that I filled it in. We see just like people getting their heads blown off in in like claymation. I. You do know that the reason all the chickens wear something around their necks is to hide the seams, right? Where their heads separate. I didn't know that. That's very funny. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess yeah, with a little ingenuity, they're already a little bit. <laughs> I, th- I mean, that's it. kind of perfect, right? If you're trying to do like a dark comedy, you just like ha- you just show like the human fingers that are like going through the puppets. <laughs> that sounds great. Uh, Ardman, we can start the bidding at $100 million, um, and we'll work our way up from there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you can just, uh, if you, um, are Ardman or any other production studio that wants to pay me and Layla, um, you know, millions of dollars to make the best uh, visual novel slash movie you've ever seen, or if you just want to write in, uh, you uh-huh. can get to us at mortifiedpod at gmail.com. Yeah, uh, so write in, uh, you can, you can, you know, offers to give us tons and tons of money to produce sequels, prequels, whatever you want, uh, is great. But also, if you... And this cannot be a game that you worked on. We're not doing promotional material here. If you liked a goof game that is takes less than six hours to play and you'd like to hear us talk about it, preferably one that's been made upwards of like five years ago. We try to we try to, you know, not do anything too recent. Um, please uh, shoot us an email also. You know, we love to to review things. Um, we did Undertale. We did, you know, we'll, we'll do stuff like that all the time, especially stuff that's like very zeitgeisty. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's my pitch. And also, uh, if you missed us, tell us you missed us. We, you know, flatter our egos. They're quite frail. <laughs> Absolutely, um, Layla. When we are not um, begging for people to protect our fragile egos, uh, where can we be found on the internet? You find me at l e y l s e s on Blue Sky. Or Tumblr. I'm quite steadily on Blue Sky. Um, what about you? Um, I'm on Twitter at AaronSXL, on Tumblr at Monster Factory Fanfic, am on Blue Sky at AA Voight, um, and also uh, on YouTube at, uh, at AA Voight, where I do my uh, RPG um, video essays. Um, tabletop RPGs are, are kind of my thing now. Um, so. Yeah, if you if you liked our conversations and want to hear more of my thoughts, go there. Um, our theme song is Obsolete by Keshko from the album Filmmakers Reference Kit Volume 2. You can find more of their music at keshko.bandcamp.com. Layla. Yes. How how do we close out this podcast again? Um, well, we'll close it the same way that uh Chicken Police Paint It Red <laughs> closed it, which is uh 
to quote the great Spike Spiegel. Spike Spiegel <laughs> from Cowboy Bebop. Whatever happens, happens. See you later, space chicken. Yeah. Huh? <laughs>